Hello everyone, welcome to the Wharton Impact Podcast hosted by the Wharton Social Impact Club. Together, we explore the intersection of business and meaningful impact. I am your host, Shorya Malhotra, and today we have Ms. Regina Gina Klein, founder and managing partner of Enable Ventures and founder of SmartJob. Gina is an entrepreneur, civil rights lawyer, and thought leader dedicated to building the future of work by advancing the rights and interests of people with disabilities as innovators, workers, business owners, and consumers. For nearly 15 years as a civil rights attorney, Gina led efforts to dramatically improve working conditions and the employment of people with disabilities. Currently, Gina is singularly focused as a leader on closing the disability wealth gap through impact investing. Join us as we discuss the role of investing in startups in reducing the disability wealth gap, how organizations today approach DEI, and what is the right way to address people with disabilities. Hi, Gina. Welcome to the Wharton Impact Podcast. We're really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be invited to talk with you. Great. Can you start off by talking about your journey and how you got interested in the DEI space? Sure. I, you know, I uh, didn't begin life as an investor. I actually had a previous career as a civil rights lawyer and a trial attorney, and I represented the interests of people with disabilities uh, across the United States and across many different wings of the disability community, which is a rather heterogeneous group. Uh, But uh, on that journey, I began to become uh, really accustomed and understanding that disability is very much a front door to diversity, equity, and inclusion in our world. Got it. And that's super wonderful to hear. And I think this pivot that now you've made from being a civil rights lawyer fighting for the people with disabilities to now an impact investor is is absolutely wonderful. And especially how you've embraced the fields of both law and finance to fight such a noble cause is great. So now as a founder of Enable Ventures, what is your firm's vision and investment philosophy in closing the disability wealth gap? Well, this is really exciting uh, for me to talk about it. It's very exciting to speak about it in a forum where I know that many people are listening who are thinking about their own career paths and their own willingness to contribute to the capital markets in a way that sees people, whole people, and see social impact as being of equal value as driving uh, financial change in the markets. There is a very powerful market for disability solutions, um, but there's a very powerful force in the demography here in the United States and in the world uh, that that is um, a force to be reckoned with, which is the 1.5 billion person population that is the disability population and growing. And what we have today is a new, a newfound understanding of what disability is. There has been uh, historic discrimination and a lack of representation of people with disabilities in the capital markets, in the labor force, in higher education, uh, in all the ways that uh, drive value in the markets. We uh, people with disabilities are certainly underrepresented. 
However, uh, there is a, a force for social change that began many decades ago uh, when uh, civil rights here in the United States and throughout the world began to take explicit recognition of the civil and human rights of people with disabilities, which included not only the right to live in the community with the supports that people need, but the right towards economic self-sufficiency, which is one of the stated goals of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And uh, today that 1.5 billion person population is a bit different um, in worldview than it was a generation before it. Um, those that uh, have come of age with this reality of civil and human rights have also come of age during a period of time in which there's been a technological revolution in, in your lifetime, in my lifetime. Um, and that group of people uh, has palpable, profound, built up demand to buy technology and the very technology that can close the wealth gap that can drive changes at work in education, in skills training, in accessing assistive technologies to remove barriers in their lives, um, in becoming founders themselves and entrepreneurs and makers, rather than being um, part of an itinerant workforce, this group of workers is saying, we need the tools to compete uh, and to compete towards upward mobility. And because of that profound demographic shift, there is a uh, equally profound opportunity to drive value in the capital markets. And the way that we have measured that opportunity is that there's a nearly $2 trillion hole in the global economy where disability labor and talent should be, which is both uh, you know, something that reflects historic discrimination, but also a historic opportunity for investors. Uh, and so Enable Ventures was born out of this idea that all of people, all of humanity benefits from the right tools, from the proper tools. In fact, all of us work our best when we're equipped with the tools that we need uh, in whatever given career path and profession we have. But it was people with disabilities, this profoundly large demographic population, a majority minority, that have been conspicuously absent from conversations about the designs of the tools that they need. And the largest technology companies in our world haven't always paid attention to the consumer interests and preferences, the preferences towards user design, user experience of people with various um, aspects of diversity. You know, disability is diversity. And disability is very much the human condition. So hear me out on this. Think about the consumer who has a learning disability, the consumer who is deaf, the consumer who is blind, but also the consumer who has uh, a fall and becomes temporarily injured. Think about the consumer with a lifelong mobility impairment or the consumer that acquires one with age. That disability is... Uh, as much a part of the human condition as anything else. And there is a uh, imperative to take notice that if one doesn't have a disability today, that you will likely have one in your own future, which means that it is a market that can only be sized by including us all in a vision for where it's going. 
You can only evaluate the potentiality that you will need a tool to remove a barrier in your life with the understanding that you have a long life. We all live longer. Um, and that uh, and that tools are becoming smarter. And when those two things converge, there's a likelihood that we should all invest in our future selves uh, with a lens towards disability. And so um, when we take this recognition that we all need tools, we realize that there are entire verticals in the emerging technology market that have grown up with tools that were generated with user design that didn't have everybody included in a vision for who the end user, uh, who the end users are. And that means work tech, that means ed tech, that means health tech generated without the right sample size as who the end users are and will be. And what Enable Ventures is doing as the first impact venture firm dedicated to closing the disability wealth gap is we are focused on strategies that are building designs to include more people and exclude fewer people we are banking on future-proofing inclusion by backing these tools. And we're looking at strategies that are uh, particularly focused on work, driving not only equality, but equity at work, which means how people with disabilities find, obtain, sustain, and thrive in the labor market. Uh, and we're doing all of that with the notion that if we can build tools for people with disabilities, they will have uh, tremendous knock-on effects to the rest of society and to the rest of the consumer base. And by the way, I use the word for, but we back the idea that uh, the, the best strategies are built by those who have the lived experience of disability or who are working in concert with those with disabilities to remove barriers uh, in their own lives. This impact statement of yours of being inclusive to not only the 1.5 billion people that are affected by disabilities, but also essentially to create strategies that will not only affect them, but all of us in the future maybe is absolutely outstanding. And this focus on founders with disabilities, assistive technologies to target that three or two or three trillion dollar hole that you talked about. I think I think that's 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 absolutely visionary, and I'm glad that Enable Ventures the first uh, impact fund focusing on that. And now, but, but let let's also talk about the finance side of things because one of the biggest skepticisms of let's say impact investing is that achieving both this massive impact statement that you just talked about, along with getting uh, competitive market returns on your investments, is very difficult. So how does Enable Ventures plan to achieve both these impact and financial goals? Well, as a principle, we see that there is no trade-off between impact and substantial financial return in this sector. And in fact, more so than in other sectors, we see a really tight fit between products and services, technologies that are fundamentally scaling their revenue models as they scale their impact. And so one of the things that is part of the relic of historical discrimination is that many people are still st stuck on an old tune about disability. They hear disability and they're thinking about charity. But one of the great news stories in modern America 
is that people with disabilities are coming of age with the highest expectations of themselves, both from an educational perspective and a workforce perspective, the highest uh, expectation that they'll access the technology they need to compete in the open marketplace. And so too, should we have the highest expectation that the tools that this 1 billion plus population wants to buy are going to generate and drive potential. And here's, it's not uh, sort of the theoretical that we're dealing in. We're dealing in an eight to $9 trillion annual disposable income among the disability population. We're talking about the kind of technology that has fingerprints and touches everyone. Uh, but these, this is an altogether different design sensibility, which is putting the needs of human beings at the center of the design process, anticipating a wide range of diversity as one plans for the user experience, the user interface. The customer experience overall is king in emerging technology. And this group is stress testing product, which has great commercial significance to include more consumers. That is the business case. When we see a captioning tool uh, that is provided to people who are deaf and hard of hearing, its revenue model scales every minute that it's connecting its customer to captioning. And all of those minutes are deep impact in those individuals' lives. But all of that is um, sort of the consecutive scaling of the business case with the impact case. So these things are not at odds. They are mutually reinforcing and complementary. Wonderful to hear about the large TAM or the large addressable market, eight to nine trillion dollars, along with the commercial solutions like captioning, makes me feel confident about the business case for helping people with disabilities. But I want to also talk about the challenges that exist in this space and just just for context, right? Um, back home in India, I worked with this institution called the Blind Relief Association. And I know that the last two to three years have been especially, especially uh, difficult for the visually challenged community because majority of them had to leave their jobs because of social distancing norms, because of no touch norms. Mm -hmm. And so with, with the Blind Relief Association, we started this project called the Livelihood Project, where we'd focus on upskilling them so that they become independent as potential entrepreneurs. And in that process, we came across so many challenges that we did not foresee. So I want to put this question to you. What in close in this in your journey in closing the disability wealth gap? especially through impact investing, what are some of the challenges that you've faced and what are some of the initiatives that you've taken to overcome these challenges? Yes, and I think that what you just described has a another story that attaches, which is that the, there is real demand in that story and real opportunity for entrepreneurs who are blind to access the right tools for them to own and advance their own business ideas. Um, and that is the built-up demand that this market has the potential to service around the world and here in the United States. And we see many startups that are selling uh, accessible tools to those uh, you know, that are working in the trenches to find people who are blind entrepreneurs jobs. To, to connect them with opportunity, to find people who are workers who are blind 
jobs. They need upskilling tools. They need digital tools. They need the digital platform to start your own business. You need uh, the remote training and remote skills to, to upskill and close that skills gap and actually enter the digital economy and the knowledge-based industries as opposed to analog and over-representation over, over in manual skills jobs. And so what you just described is where there's a point of great opportunity in the capital markets, which is to invest in the tools to close that skills gap and actually connect those entrepreneurs to opportunity. Um, we see many startups that are conveying great value to enterprise customers. You know, they are um, supporting uh, enterprise, some of the largest corporations in the world to find uh, diverse talent, including the blind workers that you described, blind entrepreneurs you described. Um, but we're also seeing, uh, you know, many millions of people with built up demand for tech enabled solutions uh, to, uh, to compete. And so I think it, the, where there are challenges, which some of you have identified, there are inherently opportunities. You mentioned India. Uh, we work with a, um, with a, uh, pardon me, with a disability technology accelerator in India called Assist Tech Foundation, which is led by a brilliant leader in Pratik Madhav. And he's part of an initiative that we've been working on called that is a global moonshot accelerator initiative that there is such strong demand all over the world for inclusive technology from people with disabilities that in order to support entrepreneurs, there are catalytic programs cropping up as entrepreneurial support organizations or entrepreneurs school. Uh, to support inclusive design principles, building up uh, you know, great fundamentals around inclusive design and universal design to support the next generation of blind uh, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs with other disabilities to create products to solve for their own barriers in their own lives and generate consumer products that are generally driving change across the market. And so just as much as there are pain points here in the United States and in India uh, for, for people during the pandemic, and there certainly were, there are unique opportunities and there's a great sea change around entrepreneurs in this generation who are building their own best uh, ideas as to how to drive equity uh, in their own life experience through, through these tools. That's wonderful to hear how entrepreneurs are now leading this charge to build inclusive technologies to help disabilities and the unique opportunities that will come out of this. It's I think it's going to be super interesting to hear, to see what happens in the next few years and the sort of innovations that come out of this. I want to shift gears a little and talk about DEI in general. So over the last few years, we've seen many companies talk about DEI. We've seen many companies embrace DEI. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on if you think a diverse workforce is actually beneficial for organizations or do you think that organizations are doing this more of like a checkbox activity because they're, let's say, obligated to do so? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we know from research, uh, particularly across DEI, that diverse organizations perform better over time. Uh, than those that are not, and and from a profit perspective, from a bottom line perspective, and it you know 
diversity is actually material to the business case. What we know from an Accenture report very recently about disability is we know that's also carried out and true as it relates to disability that companies that were evaluated in an a really critical Accenture report were found to have 30% higher profit margins the more they had disability representation at every level of the company. So we know that there is an appropriate and thorough treatment of disability that can reverberate benefits to a company's bottom line. We also know that a cosmetic treatment of disability will not, and it actually serves cross purposes. It's not helpful. Um, and so what we're really looking for is an economy in which at every level, um, whether it's startups that are generating catalytic change in the markets and conveying value up to some of the largest corporations who are their purchasers and buyers and payers and customers, or if it's the largest corporations should be evaluated based on whether they have disability representation, not only in the mailroom, but everywhere in between all the way to the C-suite. When we look at board governance, when we look at, uh, you know, policies and practices related to personnel and advancement within a company, when we're looking at opportunities for upward mobility, we should be evaluating companies based on the treatment of disability, not because it's just a great idea, but because it actually has to do with mitigating risk and the health of the company um, and the company's ability to convey value to society. It's really interesting to hear this, that you should have a good representation of diversity and disability, not in the mailroom, but across the C-suite as well. It's very consistent to actually what we were taught at Wharton in one of our earlier classes that Diversity is really important for teams in general because it sort of enhances the decision-making process by considering a wider variety of factors and a broader, broader perspective in problem solving, which as you said, which as you said, will also help with risk mitigation. So I want to get your view on how do you think organizations right now and currently are viewing DEI in their employment practices? And what are some of the areas currently do you think that they can improve upon? Well, I think we're seeing a lot of companies really committed uh, in earnest to finding uh, and acquiring diverse talent. And I think, I think that they've got, they've got the message. They understand that it's not only uh, increasing diversity within the four walls of the company, but you know what? It's understanding that if they hire diverse talent into the company, better decisions are made, but also there is a point of contact with your customer base. You understand the customers that you're selling into because you are a company that is bringing different perspectives into the deliberations as to how you package value and convey it to that customer base. We also know uh, that the companies that are doing well um and doing good are the ones that are supportive of this innovation space of this new technology that's coming by and for and out of the disability community so the companies that are um you know really prolific in understanding the need for inclusive design the need for universal design and tech are understanding that when they future-proof their workplace to accommodate a wide range of human diversity and diverse experiences, they are generating more value within their company. It's reverberating to their bottom line. 
and they're generally doing it, generally great inclusive employers have an, a unique understanding that people need tools, they need accommodation, they need workplace flexibility. One of the great stories and lessons of the last couple of years of the pandemic is that we have had protracted and profound unemployment, underemployment in the disability population for three or four decades. Um, as long as the uh, American, you know, as as long as data collection has taken place around labor market statistics for people with disabilities, there's been profound unemployment. But over the last couple of years, with the revelation and learnings of the pandemic about remote work, flexibility, newfound flexibility at work, we have seen uh, a spike in disability employment that is. Uh, the most profound we've seen since 2008. And it exactly tracks with the proliferation of new tools, of new ways of working through Zoom, through API plugins into software, through new apps, new, new and uh, different ways to stay connected during the day, new employment opportunities in remote and distributed work, new ways of conveying value asynchronously uh, while working. And so the, one of the lessons of this experience, we had two things happen over the last couple of years. We had the most protracted and profound mass disability event, which was COVID, uh, where all of society had an event that made them feel vulnerable, that gave them a newfound understanding of sort of immobility and the need for tools. And the second thing we had is a reckoning and a revelation among all workers that flexibility affords uh, a new way of working. And the original inventors of workplace flexibility and new tools were people with disabilities. They've been asking for uh, remote work since uh, they had civil rights, since the ADA. And so I think society has caught up with the demand from the disability population and that the all of all of that is part of the alchemy of why this is a very profound economic moment for the disability technology sector no and i think all the leaders of tomorrow that might be listening to this podcast will ensure and hopefully ensure that we take forward these inclusive technologies to ensure that and new ways of working to ensure that people with disabilities continue to feel um, included in the organization and we continue to address these underemployment of people with disabilities that you mentioned. I also want to address another major topic of discussion that comes up and this confusion in terminologies that I think almost all of us have faced, which is this huge talk that goes around people with disabilities versus people who are differently abled. And just, and do you think this term differently abled, do you think that this is actually a euphemism for people with disabilities? And what has been your experience with this regard when you've engaged with people with disabilities? And what do they feel about the use of this term? Mm -hmm. Well, I would shy away from telling you any one right answer uh, there in the disability community, it's a very heterogeneous group. Mm -hmm. And there are different attitudes and ideas about language. Uh, and some people use people first language. They say people with disabilities, uh, people with uh, in, and, and, you know, any number of 
disability subpopulations. And other people use it as a modifier, uh, you know, autistic person. So I am not the expert on lexicon. It is the person with the disability that has a preference, and it's usually appropriate to ask uh, how people prefer in term, uh, their language. But here's the thing. Unlike almost any other group, I've noticed over time that many people are afraid to dive in and ask questions and talk about disability for fear that they're using the wrong lexicon. And, uh, you know, the, the most important thing is to recognize that this is not other. This is not other, that the interconnectedness of our faith demands that we talk about disability because it's not someone else. It is all of us. That it is essentially that concept that we talked about in the beginning, which was about, it might not be you today, it's somebody in your family, it's one in five Americans, it's 26% of the adult population, it's 1.5 billion people. Um, it is, uh, it might be you temporarily, it might be you permanently in the future, but it commands us not to think of it as a label, but to think of it as a human phenomenon that we must plan for and think intentionally about. No, and I think as the key takeaway, I guess, would be that as responsible citizens, our duty is to ask those questions now, I think, to, yes. to, to people with disability. I think that's the key takeaway in understanding what is the best way to like to, to solve, let's say, this, this question on terminologies altogether. And so lastly, Gina, since this is a social impact-based podcast and given the nature of our listeners, I was wondering if you could talk about one moment in your career where you truly thought you were making this world a better place. Well, I feel I, I feel nervous about highlighting a moment so much as the moment we're in. I, I think that, uh, and not involving me, but involving the collective we, uh, which is that this is a market uh, who's, that is, whose time has arrived. Uh, there is profound demand for the technology that will drive not only equality in from a social perspective, but equity. And when we think about what equity is, it is the right uh, understanding that uh, we're putting our humanity at the center of the design process and the why in why we create technology, which is really, uh, that is a profound opportunity, both for value creation in the markets, but profound social change, profound social imp impact that's measurable. Um, it might be that we are creating an opportunity for people with disabilities to be the leaders of that movement as they generate new ideas as entrepreneurs and generate value in the markets. But all of us in society will benefit from it. Uh, it beckons, it and begs, it really begs the question of why we create innovation and why we create tech. For whom are we generating solutions and why should be asked more and more often in with emerging technology. Uh, and this is an opportunity uh, for technology not to be created and the users to be thought of on the back end, but just exactly the reverse. 
which is for uh, the greatest social benefit at the outset for companies to be born inclusive, for companies to be born accessible, and with all of society in mind. Uh, and so that is why this is a really unique uh, social moment and a unique moment uh, for change. Absolutely inspiring to hear. I think it's great to see the progress that we've made in this social moment. And I think it's even more exciting to see what further lies ahead with the sort of emerging technologies and the birth of hopefully inclusive companies. It was, and I think Gina, it was great having you on our podcast today. Um, it was, I had a great time interacting with you. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thank you. I really appreciated the invitation. I had a nice chat. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wharton Impact Podcast. If you found this episode interesting, please give us your feedback on the Wharton Social Impact Club's Instagram page and spread the word about us on social media. For more content on the intersection of business and impact, please subscribe to our podcast. This is your host, Shaura Manhotra, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.